This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. All right, welcome this morning to Nags Head Church and um, for all of you who are joining us online, which is everybody, because there's actually nobody here this morning as we're uh, recording this message. Uh, it's snowy and it's icy and the roads are horrible. Maybe where you live, if you're from out of town, same thing. And we're glad to be able to um, share this online. Uh, this is the first ser- uh, sermon in this series, uh, Walking Like Jesus Walked. And, uh, and so I want to uh, be sure that we get into it and, uh, and discover what, what the Word says uh, today, not miss this Sunday. Um, you can go on to our Nagshead Church dot info site and get the notes. Um, look them up under engage, click on engage, and you can get the notes and follow along there as well. First uh, John is where we're going to be for the next uh, three months, actually right up until Easter Sunday on April 1st. And so let me encourage you to open your Bible, get your Bible out and uh, open it up uh, with me to the book of First John, which is just a few handful of books before the book of Revelation. So right there at the end of our Bible. Certainly every one of us starts out our Christian life first. We start out with the amazing grace of conversion when we accept Christ as Savior and are freely given his eternal life. And then we learn to obey him. The next step is obedience, and we learn to obey him uh, when we go through the waters of baptism where we're buried as Jesus was buried, signifying that we've been raised, as Romans 6 verse 4 says, so we too may walk in a new way of life. But it seems that this new way of life, at least this is what I've discovered, in my years as a Christian, in my years as a pastor, it seems that this new way of life is not a walk in the park, there are obstacles that we'll all face that force us to choose this way or, or that. Last week, uh, my family, all of us were uh, up in the mountains, and we went on a little hike on the shores of a mountain lake, and there was a very clear path to follow. We went to a state park, and they had trails, and they're a very clear path to follow. But you have to be, if you've ever hiked in the mountains, you know you have to be very aware of, of roots and stones and other things that are provided by nature that might trip you up. Well, the adults who were along on this hike, who have hiked trails before, we knew uh, it's best to take it slow, don't hurry down the mountain trail. But we had children with us, four children with us, and you know how kids are, they would take off running. They're, they're They're used to running on the beach in different places, not realizing how easy it is on those mountain trails to get tripped up by by the obstacles. And so we'd holler at them, slow down, slow slow down. But they're kids, and part of being kids is getting scraped up and banged up, isn't it? Walking in the first century, when this book was written, this letter to the churches was written by John, was the walking was the primary means of travel. Only the wealthy could afford an animal, a horse or a a donkey or camel, only the wealthy really could afford an animal to ride. And for that reason, if you had to walk everywhere you went, most people didn't travel far from their homes. They walked everywhere that they went. They walked. And so Paul, 
the Apostle Paul, who wrote a, a good part of our New Testament, and John, both liked to use the word walk to symbolize this life that we're in as believers because it's a lifelong journey. Walk was their synonym for, for live. And as the apostles explained how to live for Christ as disciples, they, especially John and Paul, they liked to use this word walk. Here are a few examples. The apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 verse 4 said, do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Romans 13, 13, he said, let us walk with decency as in the daylight. And I think about that, as in the daylight, walk as in the daylight. You know, and, and I know, understand what Paul was saying. In the daylight, I can see where I'm walking, can I not? I can see what, what might be ahead and the next step and so forth. And in the daylight, not only can I see where I'm walking, but everybody else can see where I'm walking as well. That's about our testimony. Walk as in the daylight, de in decency, he said. Walk worthy, Ephesians 4, verse 1, of the calling you have received. Walk worthy of the Lord, Colossians 1.10 says, fully pleasing to him, bearing every fruit in every bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God. Those are just a few of the things that Paul said using the word walk. And John used walk as well. First John chapter 1, verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk and live in darkness, John says we're lying. First John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light, as he himself, speaking of Christ, is in the light. Uh, he says in 2 John chapter 1, verse 6. And this is love. How do you define love? If we that we walk according to his commands. This is the command, as you have heard it from the beginning, you must walk in love. Now, where did they get this use of the word walk? I mean, how did, where did that come from? And the answer is really simple. It came from, from Jesus. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, you, you, we've all played Follow the, follow the leader when we were kids, have we not? Follow the leader. And so we understand exactly what Jesus was saying here in John 8, 12. So he, 12, he was saying, if you follow me, if you live this life that I'm living, Jesus said, you'll never live in darkness. If you'll walk as I walked. And that brings us to the passage that's going to be the theme of this series. And I want you to memorize it. I want you to get it ingrained in your heart because it simplifies in a nutshell what John is saying in this letter. Look with me at 1 John chapter 2, verse 5, the very end of verse 5, and then into verse 6. Find that in your Bible with me. And follow along as I read. In fact, Read it with me. Read it aloud. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Should walk just as he walked. Now, John's writing to Christian people here. We know that. Some people want to take John's words in this letter and, frankly, some of the words, and in fact, leading up to this passage, some of the words that John writes in this letter to these Christians are warnings. And, but some want to take these warnings as though John might be writing to pretend Christians. But that's not the case, because over and over in this letter, he calls them brothers. 
He uses the pronoun as he talks to them, us, including himself. He refers to them as his children, which is a term of affection. You know, at this point when John writes this letter of 1 John, uh, he's, he's an old man. He is perhaps now in his 80s. He has not yet been exiled to the island of Patmos where he received the vision that we have recorded in the Bible for us as the book of Revelation. That hasn't happened yet, but we know he's old. He's been an apostle for 50 or more years, traveling around, mostly in, in Turkey and in Asia Minor, spending time with the churches there and these people that he loves. So he refers to them in these, ter- these terms of endearment. And he's encouraging them in this letter to live for Christ. And so the passage that we're going to focus on this morning, chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, I'm fast forwarding from the beginning of the book. We'll get there next Sunday. But fast forwarding to get John, John says, this is why I'm writing this book. And he wants them to know you can walk. I just said we need to walk as Jesus walked. And here's why. And he tells them in these three verses You've got all these things going for you. So would you look with me now at chapter 2, verses 12, 13, and 14. He says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven, because of Jesus' name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men. Because you have had victory over the evil one. And then as if he starts over again, he says, I have written to you, children, because you've come to know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. And I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. God's word remains in you. And you've had victory over the evil one. So when he says, I'm writing to you, little children, does that, that mean you know, John's talking, uh, talking about Cowabunga Cove, you know, our children's ministry, when he says, I'm writing to little children? And, and are the, the young men, the, is he saying, I'm writing to the millennials of the first century? And are the fathers the old guys? Is this age-related, what John says, children, fathers, young men? Is this age-related? And the answer, of course, is probably not. Are the fathers in this, I'm writing to you fathers, is he talking about some priestly caste in the church? No, you can't find that in the New Testament. Well, then maybe he's talking about spiritual maturity here. Little children, those who are newly reborn believers. Maybe that's what he means here. And then when he says you fathers, he's talking to you old veterans of the faith, and you young men, those of you kind of in between the new believers and the veterans, the older or mature believers, those of you in between, you are the young men, between the new newbies and the super mature. Is that what he means? And the answer, I think, is probably not. For one reason, I, I say that is that he would put, you know, he starts with little children, and then he goes to fathers, and then he goes to young men. That's not chronological, is it? That's not a spiritual process. Is it? We don't go from here, babies, to mature, to immature. We just don't, it doesn't work that way. That would make it kind of confusing. Although, you know, most of us who are older, 
uh, in life physically. Most of us who are older certainly would enjoy going back a step or two and, and, uh, and gaining our youth again. Our spiritual growth, your spiritual maturity, your spiritual growth does start out with each one of us as spiritual infants, as newborn babies in the family of God, when we're born again into Christ's family by believing in him as our Savior. And then as we mature spiritually, we go from that point of being, of being very young in the faith and we begin to grow. We move from being believers to disciples. And I believe that begins when you follow the Lord's command to be baptized. That's the first step of discipleship. When we move from believers to disciples, when the word disciple means learner, over time, and we advance just like we do in our, our physical maturity. As, as physically we mature, we, we, uh, we lay there for a while, you know, and then we learn how to turn ourselves over. And then we begin to crawl and scoot, and, and then we, we finally get up, pull ourselves up, and we begin to take steps, and we walk, and then finally we learn to run, and we grow into Christ-likeness. We mature that way spiritually from being babies to being adults as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God by regularly, consistently yielding and obeying Him and the Scriptures that He inspired the Bible. That's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. But, but it's what John is that what John is talking about here, that spiritual process of maturity? And the answer, I believe, is probably not. If you can picture with me this, this man, this apostle John, this elderly, beloved shepherd. If you can picture him kind of in your mind as the, as the grandfather of the churches. You know, I always loved it when we would go to my grandfather's house and visit. And the reason I loved it was because I knew my grandfather, he did this every time, I think, when we would all load back up in the car and get ready to leave. And we didn't see him very often, maybe once or twice a year because of the distance. We didn't live near him. But we'd all get in the car, four or five of us kids, and, and uh, Grandpa would come up to the car and he'd reach in his, in his pocket and he'd pull out a wad of bills. And Grandpa would look at each one of us, and he'd, he'd smile, and he'd give us a $5 bill. And I remember when I was, you know, 10, 11 years old, $5 was a lot of money. My Grandpa, he must be the richest man in the world. But it was, we look forward to seeing him because of the way he treated us, because of his kindliness to us. And I, and I really believe that's how the churches looked at John. He's the grandfather. They love him. They love him for his teaching. They love him for his kindness. They love him for his graciousness. He's already written a letter, the go or excuse me, his gospel, that's already circulating in the churches. So they know as, as he how he tells the story of Jesus. His, he was Jesus' best friend among the apostles. And he tells that story, and it's being circulated among the churches. So they know John, and they know him well. He's not somebody new. He's not some new guy that just showed up. He's been to their churches. They've entertained him in their homes. He sat at their dinner tables with them and shared his stories and his wisdom with them. He sat in their small groups. He's preached to their churches. They know him well, and, and, and he loves them so much that he says over and over in his letters, he refers to them as his children. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, My little children, I'm writing you these things 
so that you may not sin. Doesn't that sound like a, a parent or a grandparent? I, I'm going to tell you this so you don't get in trouble. Chapter 2, verse 28. So now, little children, remain in him, talking about Christ, remain in him so that when he appears, when Jesus comes back, we may have boldness and not be ashamed before him at his coming. That, that, by the way, that tells me, you know what John was expecting before he died? He was expecting Christ to come back because he says we will not be ashamed when he comes back. Chapter 3, verse 7, So now little children remain in him so that when he appears, we may have boldness. Well, I, I've just read that. I'm sorry. Chapter 3, verse 18, Little children, we must not love in word or speech, but in deed and truth. Chapter 5, verse 21, little children, guard yourselves from idols. So how do we look at verses 12 through 14? If it's not talking about chronological age, children like the ch children that we have in our kids' ministry here at Nagshead Church today, it's not talking about the millennial young people, it's not talking about the old veteran Christians, it's not talking about spiritual maturity, the young believers, the very young believers, the young believers, and then the, the old veterans. If he's not talking to them that way, how do we understand verses 12 to 14? What if he's referring to all of his readers, and then, of course, I believe really to all of us who are believers in Christ? And by that I mean, each of us have had the experience, each of us who are believers in Christ, all of us who are Christians have been born again, each of us have had the experience he talks about here. Jot some things down with me. First of all, all believers in Jesus have experienced the Father's forgiveness of our sins. All of us have if we know Christ. And that's what happens when a man or a woman or a boy or a girl comes to accept Christ as Savior. You see, we don't, we don't need a Savior unless first we realize we're sinners. And then we go to the Savior to rescue us from our sin. And then, and then someone, a friend, we realize that we need a Savior, and someone, it might be a friend or a teacher or a preacher, shares the gospel with us, the good news that Jesus died to take away our sin. And that all we need to do is by faith believe that he has done that for us. And, and then we all experience his forgiveness the very moment we accept Christ. It's the new birth where we become new and all of our past is forgiven. And like brand new babies, we have new life. Every Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus this morning, you've come to know him as Savior, you've had that experience of having your sins forgiven. Not because we deserve it, not because we're worthy of it. In fact, we're not. It's about grace, and it's all because, as John says here, because of Jesus. And secondly, all believers have fellowship with the eternal God, all of us. And John, for the eternal God, as John thinks of this, he uses this phrase, the eternal God, the one who is from the beginning, he says, is Jesus, and it's the Father. John understood that Jesus was from the beginning. In fact, he introduces his gospel, his biography of Jesus, with these words in John chapter 1. He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been 
created. And then in verse 14, he says, the word became flesh. Speaking of Christ, the word of God, he became flesh and took up residence among us. We just got through celebrating Christmas, didn't we? And remember the angel Gabriel came to Joseph and he said, and you'll call his name Emmanuel, which is interpreted, it means God with us. And John says the same thing. He came, took up flesh, became flesh, took up residence among us. And John says, and we observed his glory. John, an eyewitness of Christ's life. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You see, John fully understood both God the father and Jesus the son are God and are eternal. And he says to us, listen, Christians, you've been connected. You are connected. You have fellowship with the very one who created it all, with the very one who has been since the beginning. You're connected to him. You have fellowship with him. And every Christian has that experience through Jesus. And then the third thing he tells us about every Christian is this. Every believer, all believers have victory in spiritual battles. All of us do. It's kind of like strong young men who are soldiers. You know, who joins the Army and the, and the Air Force and the Marine Corps and the Coast Guard and, and the Navy? Who, you know, the, you don't go to the recruiting office and see 50-year-old men standing in line, do you? No. Why? Because it's young men that the armed forces are looking for. Why are they looking for young men? They're looking for young men because of their physical strength because of their abilities uh, physically. They're young men and they're, they're, they're anxious to be engaged. And, and it's like young men who are soldiers, every Christian has been in spiritual battle and experienced victory. Everyone. And it might be victory over temptation. It might be victory in controlling our thoughts or controlling our temper. It might be in resisting the urge to stay in bed or go fishing or surfing to get up and, and get ready to come and worship with your church. Which am I going to do? Uh, Every Christian battles some of these things. It might be making that commitment to devote a portion of your finances so you could spend, that you could spend on some fun things or even necessary things, but you devote them to the Lord. It might be refusing to listen to or spread gossip or to say no thanks to something you know would not please the Lord. We've all been through those battles Every Christian has. And he says, and you've won. Does he say you've won every single one? No, he doesn't. But we all have the experience of victory. And John, if John is describing a sequence in these three verses, it's not chronological age, it's not spiritual maturity, but it looks like it is a sequence. It might be this. You know what it's like, Christians, to have your sins forgiven, don't you? Yeah. And you know what it's like to have fellowship with the eternal God, don't you? Yeah. Those two experiences we all have as believers allow us to be strong like young men against satanic assaults against us. And then you know what John does? He goes through those three things, little children, fathers, young men. In verses 12 and 13. And then he gets to verse 14, and he pretty much repeats it all over again. Look again with verse 14 with me. I've written to you, children, 
because you've come to know the Father. I've written to you fathers, because you've come to know the one who's from the beginning. I have written to you young men, because you are strong, and God's word remains in you, and you've had victory over the evil one. But I want you to notice something different in verse 14 from verses 12 and 13. And the difference is, did you notice it as you read it? The tenses are different. He changes tenses. In verses 12 and 13, it was in the present tense. I am writing to you, little children. I am writing to you, fathers. I am writing to you, young men. And then all of a sudden, in verse 14, he says, it's past. I have written. What John was saying was, I'm going to say this again, and I've already said it, but let me say it again. I have written. Let me say it again a little differently. Little children, you like like fathers, you've come to know the eternal father. And again, that happens the moment you accept his son and he forgives your sin. John writes about something that Paul would describe as being reconciled, meaning you were then brought into relationship, into this connection with God the Father. So we know him, don't we? We know God, the eternal one. To the fathers, he said, all of us who know God, he reminds the fathers he is eternal, which means this. What does eternal mean? Let me give you a practical understanding of eternal. Eternal means never ending, right? No beginning, no ending. But practically speaking, what does that mean to you and me? That means this. He is there for us always. Always. And then to the young men. Representing you and me, Christian believer, as we do battle with temptation, as we do battle with the devil, who is the enemy of Christ and the enemy of those who love Christ. He again reminds the young men, and you're victorious. But he has one very important reason for being victorious. And this he did not say the first time through, but then he says, because you are strong. God's word remains in you, and you have victory over the evil one. What's John saying in, in these three verses where he says, here's why I'm writing this book, and that's why we start here today. What's he saying? He's saying, Christians, listen, this is how we win the battles we'll face in life. We're just starting a brand new year. This is the first Sunday of 2018. 51 more to go. 51 more weeks that we're going to go through life in 2018, God willing. And we're going to go through battles. Did you, how many of you went through battles last year in 2017? And, and would you also think about this? Some of the battles I went through last year, I had no idea they were coming. Did not know. Of course that happens. That's life. We're going to have these battles in this year. And, and John says, listen, here's how we overcome. Here's how we are the victors. He says, we're not strong when we give in and when we give up. We're not strong when we allow the mindset of the world and, and of those who don't know this eternal God to determine how, how I live. We're not strong when, when I convince myself I can be okay with God and at the same time avoid the basics of the Christian life. I can be okay with God, if, but I don't have to read his word. I don't have to spend time in prayer or in fellowship with other believers. I don't have to give back to God, and that's okay with God. We're weak. And when we're weak like that, what happens when we're weak? We, we fall. 
and when we would rather achieve what looks like success to the world, which is often not success in God's eyes, when we would rather achieve that kind of success, we fail. His word is not remaining in us. In fact, and I've done this as a Christian, and I bet some of us have done this as well. We can totally ignore his word and say, I'm just going to do my own thing. And when that happens, we start losing the battles. Strength for the walk, which will include some battles, is tied to the power of God's word remaining in you and me, period. Let me say that again. Strength for the walk is tied to the power of God's word remaining in you and me. Apart from a steady diet of the word which tells us how to walk like Jesus, that's why God left us with this great book. Not just, it's not just to take space on a table somewhere during the week and get dusty. It tells me and it tells you how to walk like Jesus. And apart from a steady diet in it, we, we lose, we give up, we walk away, we fall between the cracks. We allow the lure of the world's ideas of success to overcome us when we should be overcoming the world. One thing I spent a good bit of time doing in the three months I was on sabbatical was just thinking and some of you are saying, well, that's a good thing. Is that a change? No, I hope not. Thinking about, God, why is it? And I've been pastoring for many years. This month is, makes 27 years I've been shepherding this flock. And I, I, I run this through in my mind frequently. God, why is it that some people become Christians? They follow you in baptism. They become part of the church, but they just don't last. They drop out, they fall between the, clock, the, the cracks, they stumble and fall and just don't want to be picked back up. They wander away. God, why is that? And I believe the answer is in what we just read. The answer is about staying, remaining in his word and becoming a victor. It's the start of a new year. And maybe what you need today Maybe what I need today is, is a new start. And perhaps your walk hasn't been following Jesus closely. I'm not standing here pronouncing judgment on anybody, but you can say about yourself, you know, I have not been following Christ like I probably should be. Maybe you're here today and you're listening at home and you say, I, you know what, that you talked about this new birth experience, this time of coming to Jesus as your own Savior, and, and uh, I don't know that I've ever really done that. Maybe you've never accepted him, and today you say, you know what, I need, I need, before I can live these kinds of things, I need a new life first. I want to pray with you right now whatever the need might be in your life. And there's even space, uh, if, you're, if you're looking at the notes that we provided for you, there's space saying, my next step is, and you can write it down. I need to follow Jesus more closely this year. And I'm going to do so by spending time in his word, by being in fellowship with God's people. 
I'm going to do so by, by praying. I'm going to do so by doing the things, the habits that God wants me to have in my life. This year, it's going to happen. I need a new change, a new life. And maybe today, you said today I need to accept Christ Jesus as my Savior for the first time in my life. Let me have a prayer with you. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the eternal God, that you are always there for us. And we thank you that by you giving your son Jesus to come to this earth and live and die on that cross and then be buried, risen from the grave, that you've given us the opportunity as well to have fellowship with you, to live a new life, to be born again. And we thank you today, Father, that that as Christian people, we have these common experiences of, of, of coming to know Christ as Savior and, and, and realizing who you are as the eternal God and, and, Lord, overcoming the battles and winning victoriously. These are about us, these things, John said. We thank you, God, that we have this. But we also want to realize, Father, the victory comes when I, I remain in your word. And your word remains in me. Father, maybe that's what we need to say this year. Maybe that needs to be someone's prayer today. God, this year, I want to spend time in your word. I want your word to remain in me, not to, to leak out, but to remain strong in me so that I can win the battles that are coming this way in my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world.